All right, brothers and sisters, let's open God's word together. If you will, take out your Bibles and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and here in just a moment, we're going to cover verses 17 through 24. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Now I want you to notice the title of today's sermon up on the screens. Each week, we try to post the title and the text of the sermon on Facebook, actually the day before church, so that um, you can look at it ahead of time and prepare your hearts. You can read the text before we get to sermon time on Sunday and prepare your heart for what's gonna, uh, what God's going to give us in the sermon. But as I posted this one yesterday on Facebook, right after I posted it and saw it with my eyes, I thought, oh, there's going to be a bunch of people who see the title of that sermon and think, here we go, a whippersnapper young minister doing away with our cherished traditions in an effort to make the church cool, right? I thought that's what people are going to think right there. Now, let me just say this. Sometimes change needs to happen, right? Sometimes in churches, change needs to happen. And some of us need to be okay with it. Some of us need to be more okay with it than we are right now. Now, I'm actually preaching to myself here a little bit. My wife will tell you I'm a 37-year-old with the uh, attitude and disposition of a 67-year-old. I like things the way they are. I like things to stay the way they are. I like to be comfortable. Please don't change my life. Okay, But just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean we need to keep doing it that way, right? Doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way. Just because your grandmother donated something to the church doesn't mean we need to keep that thing on display until the return of Christ. Mm-hmm. No names will be mentioned. On the other hand, on the other hand, sometimes things need to stay the same and traditions need to continue and some of us need to learn the value of tradition a little bit more. Christianity has existed a whole lot longer than you have. Thousands of years, to be specific. And there is much wisdom to be gained by learning from those who came before us. It was C.S. Lewis who coined the phrase chronological snobbery, by which he meant the foolish idea that just because we live in a later time, we must be wiser than those ignorant people who came before us. This is particularly a failing of young people in our generation, and in every generation probably. Some of us need to realize that change for change's sake is not wise, and what brings people to Christ is not fog machines, light shows, and modern-looking furniture. But that's not what the sermon's about today, and sigh of relief for many of you. We're not going to change any cherished traditions here in the sermon today. We're not going to announce some kind of big upheaval of anything that we've loved for generations in this church. That's not what the sermon's about today. In fact, this might be the worst sermon introduction ever because I just spent a lot of time talking about what's not in the text. The text is not about this. It's not what I've been talking about. The old and new in our text is not about that stuff at all. In fact, it's about something infinitely more important than that stuff. Let me show you what I mean. Let's read our text. Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. He writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, 
that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in, the true, righteous, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, let me give you just a few introductory comments before we get to the main points of the passage today. Look at verse 17 with me. I don't want this to trip you up. Notice how in verse 17 he says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, sometimes Paul will use that word Gentiles to refer to pagans, to the ungodly, right? It's not the way he uses it all the time, which might trip some people up. For instance, look at chapter 3, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6 there, he uses the word Gentiles in a different way. Chapter 3, verse 6, he says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There he's talking about Gentiles as just non-Jewish people. right? Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And Gentiles are just as much part of the body of Christ as Jews are. But here in verse 17, he's using that word in a different way. He's saying Gentiles are the ungodly. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles, as the pagans do. That's how he's using that. So I don't want that to trip you up today. But I want you to see how the crux of Paul's message can be found in verses 22 and 24. The crux of the message is really this. Verse 22, put off your old self. And then verse 22, put on the new self. Put off your old self, put on the new self. J.B. Phillips, in his paraphrased translation of the New Testament, which is often so helpful, translates these two phrases like this. Fling off the dirty clothes of the old way of living and put on the clean, fresh clothes of new life. That's what we're talking about today. Put off your old, dirty clothes and put on new, fresh clothes of a new life in Christ. Let's take those two things in turn because we've got to analyze both. Both are essential. Number one, throw away or put off your old clothes. Throw them away. Men, how many of us have had our wives had to make us get rid of an article of clothing? You've been there, right? Our favorite shirt, It's got holes in it. It's ratty. We don't want to get rid of it. But she's like, no, no, this is happening. You have to. She has to make us get rid of it. We never would have done that. Right. And she comes to us and she's like, look at that thing. And you're like, but it's my favorite. I I, I love that shirt. And she's like, it's got holes all in it. And you say "Uh, that lets in the air. And and she said, it's got stains all over it. And you're like, it gives it character. And. And really what we are is we're like a toddler with a little blankie, right? It's our, it's our security blankie. We don't get, want to get rid of it. You've got to make us get rid of it. And when we're complaining about how we want to keep it, and we're given all the reasons why it's so comfortable and it's so familiar, 
What are our wives hear us saying? Our wives hear us saying, but I like living in my own filth. I like looking like a slob. And they're usually right in all of this, aren't they? We hate to admit it, but usually they're right. We, we actually do need to get rid of that thing and then go through the, the uncomfortable process, if you're like me and, and you love everything the same all the time, the uncomfortable process of finding a new one or getting new clothes and getting used to the new thing. This is how we are with sin. This is how we all are, not just the men. This is how we are with sin. Oftentimes it's comfortable. It's familiar. I don't want to put off what I've enjoyed for so long, what's been so familiar. And when I think about forsaking my sin, forsaking this way of life that I've gotten so used to, a part of your flesh rises up and says, don't do it. You can't live without that. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're not going to like this. And you know deep down it's what we need. We must throw away, put off our old self. Now notice, to do this, we must deliberately kill not just our sin, but our desire for sin. We have to work on this at the level of desire. We have to make a decision at the level of our desires, not just our outward actions. The word desire here is really important because if you notice, he talks about these Gentiles who walk in ignorance. Now, ignorance, you would think, would be a a term of the head only, but it's not. The ignorance of God begins in the heart, not in the head. People do not live ungodly lives due to a lack of learning. They do not reject God and his son because of lack of evidence. It's a heart issue. Look at verse 18 with me. There in your text, verse 18, he says that these Gentiles are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And what is that ignorance due to? What does it say in the text? The ignorance is due to what? The hardness of their hearts. Ignorance is due to the hardness of their heart. Verse 19 says something similar. They have become callous. They have become callous. They have hardened themselves to where they don't feel what they're supposed to feel. And that is where ignorance of God comes from. Not from lack of evidence, not from lack of learning, from hardness of heart. Like Pharaoh, they have hardened their heart against God and against the commands of God and the things of God. They love darkness rather than light, as Jesus put it in John 3. Listen to Jesus' words from John 3, starting in verse 19. Jesus tells Nicodemus, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Living in ungodliness, living in wickedness, is living in darkness. And when you're living in darkness, the light hurts. The light exposes. They love the darkness, it says, rather than the light. Jesus came as the light of the world, and they loved darkness rather than that light. Why? Because their works were evil. They didn't reject Jesus because they didn't have enough information. They didn't reject Jesus because they looked at him and they thought, 
That's not God. They rejected Jesus because they loved their sin. This is why most of the world rejects Jesus today. There are people in the world who cannot accept Jesus because they do not know about Jesus. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those who reject Jesus. And why do they reject him? It is not a lack of evidence. It is not that because they look out into creation and they don't see the evidence that God is the the one maker and creator and ruler of the earth and that his son is Jesus Christ. No, it's because of hardness of heart. Paul says a similar thing in 2 Thessalonians 2.10 where he talks about those who are perishing and he says they're perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They know the truth. They know it. But that's not why they perish. They perish because they refuse to love it, right? Satan knows the truth. Demons know the truth, and they're not saved. Why? Because they don't love the truth. Or Romans 1 will say that those who oppose God are suppressing the truth. They know the truth, but they're pushing it down. They don't want to face it. They don't want it to be real. They don't want to look at it because if I look at it, I have to reckon with God and I have to reckon with my sin. And I love my sin. This is why people reject Jesus. It's a desire issue. It's not just about your knowledge. As long as you want sin more than you want God... You will never have God. If you want sin more than you want God, you won't get God. Look at verse 22 with me one more time. Verse 22. Notice what it says there at the end. Your former manner of life, if you're a Christian today, that former manner of life, it is corrupt through what? Deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. It's your former way of life. Now, unfortunately, those desires do not just go away once you've become a Christian. And oh, how I wish they did. Oh, how I wish that our deceitful desires for sin just went away when we became a Christian, but they don't. We still have to fight them. Notice how Paul talks in verse 22. Notice what he says. He says, You've got to put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, believers, the believers that he's writing to, you still have to put off your old self. It belongs to your former way of life, but you still got to put it off. You've got to put it off now. Even though you've already become a Christian, you still have to make that decision daily to put off your old self, to throw away those old clothes. This is not just something that you do when you become a Christian. You put off your old self once and for all. No, you have to continue doing it. You've got to continue putting off that old self. It's something you have to do every day in your walk with Christ. Remember the Israelites? In the Old Testament, especially as they wandered in the wilderness in the book of Numbers, they continually said over and over again, if we could just go back to Egypt. And you read that and you're like, are you insane? Have you completely forgotten what you were doing in Egypt and how harsh your taskmasters were and how you were crying out to the Lord, begging for deliverance and how you were treated horribly, worse than any human being should ever be treated. And now you're saying you want to go back? I mean, they they weren't thinking clearly, but the same thing happens with us every now and then, doesn't it? We, We have those thoughts. We have those temptations. The former way of life comes back to our minds, and it comes back 
to, to our muscle memory, if you will. And, and it looks attractive for a moment. And just like they were not thinking clearly, neither are we when temptation rises up. And so just like the Israelites, we have tempting desires every now and then to return to our former way of life, or at least to dabble in it. But notice how it says those desires we have for sin are deceitful. Verse 22, they are deceitful desires. They are lying to you. Those desires that we have for sin and for our former way of life, they're lying to us. They are holding out the promise of pleasure. And once you've bitten down, Satan pulls back and sets the hook in your jaw. And you thought you were getting pleasure and what you really get is death. They're deceitful desires. They are lying to us. Do not listen to them. Know beforehand, know before the temptations come that it will look attractive, but it's a lie. It's a lie. Any of y'all remember Homer's Odyssey? How long has it been since you were forced to read that in like high school, right? Because who reads that on their own, right? Unless you're just really into Greek mythology. But I'm I'm here to tell you, Greek mythology is actually underrated for the lessons it can teach us. It has no salvation in it, but lots of life lessons. Lots of life lessons from it. Homer's Odyssey, do you remember Odysseus? On his return from the Trojan War, him and his men are sailing past an island that has monsters on it called sirens. Remember the sirens? Right? The sirens present themselves to men as beautiful women. Beautiful women. And they sing a song that if any man hears it, it's irresistible. He has to turn aside and leave his path and go off to find these sirens. And what happens when he finds them? It's not a beautiful woman. It's a monster. They kill you. They kill you. Right? It's a lie. The song is a lie. It's so tempting. It's so beautiful. It's, it's so attractive to our flesh. And it's a lie. That's sin. Those are the deceitful desires of sin. They tempt with pleasure, but they are monsters that will kill you. And so Paul tells us to put off that old self. Be done with it. And make that decision every day anew to be done with the old self, to throw away those old nasty clothes that you know you've been needing to get rid of for a long time. Throw them out. You have to make a deliberate decision of your will to do this, both when you come to Christ and time and time again as you walk with Christ. Put off the old self. Throw away those old nasty clothes. But you can't just do that. You can't just throw away the old clothes. You can't just stand there naked. You've got to put on new ones. You've got to put on the new clothes. You can't just put off the old self. You have to put on the new self. So let's talk about that for just a moment. Put on the new self. How do we do that? How do we put on a new self? Well, we primarily do it through renewing our minds. You must renew your mind to put on the new self. Notice in our text all of the mind language here. I want to take you through it just briefly. Notice all of the language that points to our minds. Right? It's all over the place. Verse 17, verse 17, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, look at that with me. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. Also verse 18, the ignorance that is in them. And then go down to verse 20, 
That is not the way you learned Christ. Verse 21, assuming you were taught in him. Also verse 21, as the truth is in Jesus. And then verse 23 kind of caps it all off. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This language of the mind is all over this passage. Because that's one of the central ways that we put on this new self. And so my question to you today is this. What are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with? And think especially about Monday through Saturday. Right? You're, you're here on church on a Sunday. Okay. Good for you. Monday through Saturday. What are you filling your mind with? If you are consistently filling your mind with the popular shows on Netflix, the breaking news headlines, or the latest viral posts on social media, how do you expect your mind to be renewed in godliness? Really? How do you expect it? Think about the ratio of the godly stuff that goes into your mind versus all the rest. How do you expect your mind to be renewed in godliness when all the rest vastly outweighs the messages and images of godliness coming into your mind? You cannot expect to renew your mind living a lifestyle like that. And that's not even mentioning if we are putting things in our minds that are explicitly ungodly. I'm just talking about the normal fare out there that most people don't see any harm in. How can you expect to renew your mind when, I don't know, three-fourths of what goes into our mind is not godliness? And perhaps only one-fourth is it's like how they say you can't out-exercise a bad diet. I learned this the hard way in my life. I remember trying to lose weight one time, and I've, I've had to lose weight a number of times in my life. Probably need to right now. But a number of times in my life trying to lose weight. And at one point, I was going to the gym about as regularly as any human being could be going to the gym. And I wasn't losing a pound. In fact, I was gaining weight. And I was like, what is going on? How is this possible? And it took somebody to, to tell me what I didn't know is that losing weight is 75% what you eat and what you don't eat. It's only about 25% exercise. Exercise is good and important, but you've got you to watch what you eat. You can't outwork a bad diet. And in the same way, you can come to church and you can read the Bible, but if you are filling your mind with ungodly images and messages consistently, you will just be taking one step forward and three steps back. One step forward, three steps back. And you can do up the math and see the projection of where you're going if you live life like that. Paul says, put off your old self, put on the new self. Put off your old clothes, put on the new clothes. But what so many of us are doing is trying to put on the new clothes while we still got the old clothes on. We haven't taken off the old clothes, we're just trying to put the new clothes on while we still got the old ones on. How ridiculous would it look if I tried to put on another pair of khakis on top of these khakis? I mean, that would be ridiculous. Like I'm trying to pull these up and they're getting all bunched up. And then pretty soon I look like I've got, you know, really weird shaped legs. And maybe I, I take one leg off of one of the, the pairs of khakis and put another one on. And now I've got the old ones on one leg with one off and the new ones on one leg with one off. And somebody looks at him and they're like, he needs a psychological evaluation. Right. It's ridiculous. But that's what we're trying to do. That's what we are trying to do. We, we haven't taken off the old clothes. We're trying to put new ones on, and we've still got the old ones on. It doesn't make any sense. Romans 12.2 
tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world. You've got to have your mind renewed in something that is not of this world. If you want to have a mind like Christ, if you want to have a godly mind, and if you want to have a life where you are not consistently struggling with all of the sins that pull at your flesh, do you ever think about that? You ever think, why am I struggling so much? I'm a Christian. Why am I struggling so much with the sins of the flesh? What are you putting into your mind? How are you renewing or not renewing your mind? Do not be conformed to this world. Brothers and sisters, with the things that we are taking in, even if if you wouldn't consider them explicitly sinful, with many of the things that we are taking in, we are being conformed to the pattern of this world. We are allowing ourselves to be conformed to the world. It's going to have to take a change in what you're taking in so that your mind can be renewed in godliness, so that you can have a detox and a cleanse from what you're addicted to. Now, how do we renew our minds? We talked about what you need to get, out, get away from, what you need to put off. How do you renew your mind? The primary way you do it is right here, through the Word of God, consistently coming to the Word of God, The truth in God's word is how we correct our ignorance. The pagans, the Gentiles, they walk in ignorance. How do you correct your ignorance? The truth of God's word. It says they are darkened in their understandings. Where's the light? Thy word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. In verse 21, look how it says the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. And how do we know Jesus' truth? You know it from God's word, from reading it in the Bible. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31. John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. You want to be free from that old self? The truth in Jesus will set you free. That's how you get free. And it's right here. You want to be renewed in your mind? Substitute some things that you've been taking in and substitute that time with some of this right here. Go into God's word, letting God Speak to your mind and letting God inform you and letting God train you and letting God teach you instead of the culture. Now, another aspect to this putting on the new self goes right along with what we just talked about. It's really closely related to it, although it is technically something different. And it is this. If you want to be a new person, if you want to put on a new life, then pursue the Lord with everything you have. Go after God with everything you've got. If you want to be a new person, if you want to be a different person, if you want to put on the new self, then pursue the Lord with everything you've got. What did Jesus say is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with everything you have. That's really what it means. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love the Lord your God with all you've got. 
Or listen to Psalm 105, verse 4, where David says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Do you know what that, that means? Do you, have you experienced what that's like? To seek the Lord's presence continually? David is writing from a heart and from a soul that desires the Lord more than anything else. Remember our scripture reading this morning, Psalm 63, verse 1. David himself said, earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you. My flesh faints for you as a dry and weary land where there is no water. Your, your steadfast love is better than life. David wanted God more than anything. In Psalm 27, he says, one thing that I'm going after, one thing that I desire, to see the glory of the Lord. He wants God more than anything. He's seeking his presence. And God tells us, if you are like that, he'll make sure that you find him. He gives us a promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God says, if you can seek me with all your heart, I'll make sure I am found by you. I'll make sure that you find me. If you can just pursue me. You're not, you're not going to be perfect. That's not what this means. It means earnestly, with a, a deep and fervent desire. Do you want God? Do you want to be a new person? Then the question, the deeper question is, do you want God? Because that's how it happens. That's how you put on the new self. Pursue God with everything you have. Now, again, you might ask, okay, but how do I do that? How do I pursue God? It's the same answer. Same answer as before. How do you renew your mind? How do you pursue God? Same answer. The Bible. Go to God's word. This is where God has revealed himself. This is where God has shown us who he is. This is where God speaks to us. This is where God gives us himself. If you want God, go here. You will not find God in any measure anywhere close to this out there. You can look out into creation and learn a bit about God. You can. You can look out into creation and have even a worshipful experience in nature and things like that. We can see God in one another. You can see God in all kinds of different places. But the primary way where God has revealed himself is the Bible. If you want God, go here. And that's where you'll find him. That's where you'll find him. Make it a point. Make it a, a priority to get into the Word every day, Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday, to get into the Word a little bit. And when you come to the Bible, just have one goal. One goal when I come to the Bible. I want God. I want to find God. I want to experience God. If that is your only goal as you come to Scripture, you are doing it right. That is the way to read the Bible. We don't come to the Bible so I can find one verse to help me in this one place of life. The Bible can do that, but that's not its purpose. right? The purpose of the Bible is for you to find God, for you to know God. God tells us who he is, and here's, here's how you're supposed to respond to that. That's the Bible. So if you want a new life, you've got to want God. And if you want God, that's where you'll find him. I want to leave you today with the ultimate problem and solution for mankind found in our text today. Our text tells us the ultimate problem for all mankind and the ultimate solution 
Why do we need to put off the old self? Why do we need to put on a new self? Why is this even a thing? Our text tells us. Verse 18. Look at verse 18. This is the ultimate problem for all mankind. They are alienated from the life of God. The ultimate problem for all mankind is that we have been alienated from God because of our sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says our sins has made a separation between us and God. That's so true. We see it all over scripture from the very beginning. Adam and Eve sin and then what, what happens? They are kicked out of the garden, removed from the presence of the Lord. They no longer have the communion and unhindered fellowship with God that they had. And the whole rest of the Bible is about restoring that. It's about coming back to God. The problem that we have is we are alienated from God. But the solution, the solution that brings us back to God is found in verse 21. The truth that will set you free, the truth is in Jesus. Jesus brings us back to God. Did you know the whole point of the cross, the whole point of church, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of everything God has ever done, is to bring us back to himself. That's the whole point of everything. The gospel is a means to that end. The cross is a means to that end. Forgiveness is a means to that end. It is all so that you could have God. Because without it, you can't have him. Without it, you're separated from him. The whole thing, salvation, the plan of it all, everything, it is all so that we could have God. God is the end of all things. God is the goal of all things. God is the only treasure that will satisfy our hearts. God is what we are after or should be. God is what will finally give us what we desire. The truth is in Jesus. In fact, Paul actually tells us in Romans 13, 14, that Christ himself is something we put on. Romans 13, 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on Christ. Or some translations will say, clothe yourselves with Christ. Jesus Christ, our clothing, our new clothes. Think about clothing. What does it do? It covers us. The blood of Jesus Christ covers our sin. Revelation talks about how only those whose robes have been made white as snow in the blood of the Lamb will enter the kingdom of heaven. Our robes, only those who have put on Christ, only those whose sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb. So listen, you know the truth. Everyone in here today knows the truth. Even if this was your first time hearing a biblical sermon, after that you know the truth of the gospel. But you must make a decision to embrace the truth. Or as Paul says, you must love the truth to be saved. It's not enough to know it, you must love it, you must embrace it. You must make a decision to throw off those old filthy clothes. It's not an easy decision. It will not be comfortable. Your flesh will be whispering in your ear the whole time, don't do it. Don't do it. You can't live without this sin. 
The step of faith is a step of courage. Putting off those old clothes is hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it every time. We must make the decision in our wills. We must take that courageous step of faith. In 1519, Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés led 300 men across the ocean to Mexico on a mission to conquer the land for Spain. When they landed, he burned all the ships. He burned them. Why? So that when they encountered great danger, his men would have no choice but to press on. There is no retreat. We have one choice only. We are going forward. We are pushing forward. And in the same way, when Jesus asked Peter and the other disciples, do you want to turn away from me too? When all the others were walking away, Peter looked at him and he says, where else are we going to go? We have nowhere else to go. You alone have the words of life. You are life. You are the light of the world. There is nowhere else to go. And you might, you might look at Peter's answer there and, and say, that, that doesn't honor Christ. He's, he's almost saying, like, if we had anywhere else to go, we would. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the only place to find eternal life is with you. The only one who has the words of life is you. And so just like Cortez burning the ships, And giving those men no choice. When we come to Christ and we decide to put off that old self, it's got to be a decision with no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Make that decision today. Take that step of faith. Your flesh will be crying out, don't do it. It's going to hurt. It's going to make you uncomfortable. You're not going to like it. You can't live without this sin. And you've got to, just in a moment... In a moment of grace from the Lord, strength that he gives you to make this decision, you say, I'm not listening to those deceitful sirens right now. I'm going to make the decision and follow Christ. No turning back, no matter what it costs, because it's worth it. The rest of my life lived in the pleasure of sin is not worth an eternity in hell. But the rest of my life lived following the Lord, no matter what it costs, is every single time worth an eternity in paradise with Jesus and with God himself. To have God forever is worth it every time. That's a good place for us to stop and to pray. We're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer, each one of us individually. And during this time, we ask that every single person in here respond to the Lord We'll have a time of public response later, but not everybody responds publicly to the word, but every single one of us need to respond. And so that's what this prayer time is for. Let's go to the Lord. Let's respond to whatever he has just laid on our hearts that's between you and God right now. And then after you have that time with the Lord, we'll come back and we'll have a time where those who need to respond publicly to the word can do so. Let's pray.